Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, we are back. It is July the 7th, and Julie and I have prepared what we will hopefully agree is a very motivational podcast for all of you today. And we're going to start out by giving you guys um, recognition and, frankly, um, a lot of uh, gratitude because the Harris Rules book, our book that we released a year and a month ago, continues to be a bestseller on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and whatever your local bookseller is. And I'm walking. I'm looking at Julie sitting in front of her computer reading some of the latest reviews. Yeah. Julie, why don't you just read a few of the latest reviews? Sure. And these are, you know, we have lots of great uh, homegrown reviews and some international reviews as well. So here's one from Canada. This is an amazing book for both the novice and the experienced real estate professional alike. It lets you know how to improve and at what level you need to be at before adding the next pieces to your real estate practice and what those pieces are. They further touch on financial freedom, a great quick read for the real estate professional to get back to what works and ignore what wastes time. And the book did so. just come out, uh, what, two weeks ago, an audio, an audible, an audible is an audio book. So make sure you download and listen to that. And by the way, the topic of today's podcast is essentially, what is the topic, Julie? What's our title today? Four habits that will get you quickly back into a good mood. Okay. So these are what we do to quickly get back in a good mood is we review, we read all of our almost 400 <laughs> five-star reviews on Amazon. Yes. Julie, what's the next one? Well, I like this one. It says, uh, let's see, great read. It's a solid companion to the TNJ, that's you and me, podcast, and is a must read for those looking for improvement in their real estate shops. So yep. I liked that one. Uh, let's see, uh, inspiration and insights to master your real estate business guide to achieve at a higher level of success to ultimately become rich and free. Um, and that was from a fellow author, by the way, which is kind of nice. Um, I just scanned past it. Karen Briscoe. Oh, that's cool. Who wrote, uh, and hosts a podcast called five minute success. There you go. That's that's a great comment. Hey Karen. Thanks. We appreciate it. Definitely. Hook up with us. Email us or text me and maybe we'll have you on the show. Yeah, we'll do one more and then uh, we'll get over to our topic. I listen to their podcast and Tim and Julie give you no nonsense, raw and real truths. Buckle your seatbelt. If you want to learn from people that care enough to give it to you straight, look no further. This book is a must. I've read it several times. You know, and and there's 371 or almost three, not that we're counting, 380 Mm -hmm. reviews now, five-star reviews. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, one of the things that, that, you know, the reason I like reading reviews is because it is clear to me that you guys understand what we're trying to have you understand, right? They get it. You guys get it. And it's so refreshing to know that there's so many of you, right? For every one person that leaves a review, there's, you know, potentially what a hundred people that basically also have read it and liked it, just didn't take the time to read a review. Reviewers have a tendency to be your most, uh, I'd say either vocal critics or vocal enthusiasts for whatever it is that you're selling. Um, and we certainly appreciate you guys taking the time. We really sincerely do. It means the world to us. And like I said, Julie and I will often use the reviews to uh, get our mindset in the right uh, spot. Because, yeah, guys, we have sometimes, we have bad days. We have things that you know present headwinds to us personally and professionally. The experience that you guys have had over the last six months, we've had it 
and Technicolor, right? We've, you've just been experiencing it just from the perspective of yourself. We've been experiencing it from the perspective of the tens of thousands mm-hmm. of podcast listeners and the thousands of coaching clients. You know, Julie and I have had to basically, you know, really get into action this year at probably a higher level we've been in years, and we've never been slackers um, because of the fact that we had to make it so that all of you had a clear path forward with the coronavirus and the recession, depression, and all that. And we started out today's podcast. I have to say, Julie and I were making notes. Of, we were going to do it on the topic was going to be five headwinds, potential headwinds to the real estate um, mm-hmm. real estate sales and the real estate market. And I got down to point number three, and I just ripped up the piece we of paper and threw it, it out because it was too depressing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't want to talk about that crap. You know, yeah. the fact is, is that everybody knows what the headwinds are, and the headwinds are going to come or they're not going to come. And if you guys are long-time par- uh, podcast listeners, you know we've been preparing you for a market shift in, for the, over two years. Um, did we know it was going to be led by a pandemic? Of mm. course not. No. Um, is there every reason to believe that things are going to continue to basically reward those of you who are overprepared and those of you who have learned the skills necessary in the new market, of course, that's where the the money is still going to flow in real estate. It's just going to flow to different people like it always has. Don't be fearful of market changes. It's something I see. It's a normal human behavior, right? People are fearful that they can't adapt to the new market or really anything with regards to change. Change for most people terrifies them. And real estate folks, they want to believe that, you know, they don't understand and they don't believe that they can survive and thrive in a buyer's market or a shifting market. Well, the reality of it is it's because they've never sold real estate. Most of you guys have never sold real estate in a changing market, let alone a buyer's market. So you have no experience. And most of the people you know, including your brokers and office managers, they haven't either. Most people have not been in real estate, guys, for more than maybe three or four years. When you look around, if you run into someone that's been in the business for five years, that's considered a veteran, isn't it? Let alone Julie and I have been in this business for two decades. So you need to have perspective about who you're getting your advice from and who you're essentially using as your role model um, because probability of them having experienced what we're entering into or anything that resembles it, at least experienced it as a real estate professional, is almost zero. So go into what we're experiencing as with optimism because you really should be optimistic as long as you're not just one of these people that's going to be chicken littling yourself into believing the market's going to return and everything's going to go back to quote unquote normal. So the notes that Julie and I wrote down were, and the topic is? Yes, we're doing four habits that can quickly put you back into a great mood. Okay, good. So, so we everybody told, can use this. We told you our hack. Yeah, but before right. Julie gets to point number one, I want to remind all of you that we are doing the mastermind this week. For those of you who'd like to attend the mastermind, it's a series of interviews um, that we're doing with some of our top producing agents, some of the agents who are the number one agents at like Caldwell Banker, number one agent with Remax, number one agent with, or I think this, um, let's see, I'm trying to remember. Uh, where are they? They were The Gordons, uh, they are, I think Berkshire Hathaway, yeah. I think they're number three or five at Berkshire Hathaway. So this, these folks have all uh, carved out time to be on the um the uh, webinar. So make sure you attend it. Just uh, text the word mastermind to 31996. Text the uh, word mastermind to 31996 and we'll text you back a scheduling link and you just go ahead and schedule you yourself uh, to attend. Again, text the word mastermind to 31996. 
six three one nine nine six. So listen, guys. Everyone has to battle against feeling pessimistic. Everyone is going to feel, especially for the second half of the year, like sometimes there's more headwinds than there are anything else because that is the reality. The economy is going to change. You're going to be dealing with politics, social unrest, all the things we unfortunately predicted correctly when the pandemic broke out back in March. Everything pretty much that is happening, Julie and I were essentially podcasting about and expecting it to happen. How did we know it was going to happen next? Because historically, whenever anything like this has happened, and nothing like this exactly has happened, but similar things, people have always reacted the same way. And so it's very predictable what direction people's behaviors will go. By the way, here's a good thing to look forward to. Whether there's a, you know, essentially a, a, a cure for the virus or whether there's a some sort of therapy for the virus, no matter you know what happens with the virus, the social unrest and the virus are directly tied together. Those two things, the the reaction from the George Floyd thing, um, you know, it was understandable in a lot of ways, truthfully. But the flip side to it is, would it have been as intense had there not been this virus or, and people had not been for, uh, forced into quarantine and all these other things? Who knows? Historically speaking, the answer is no. Hispor- historically speaking, when you essentially take a bunch of free people and you put them in a forced quarantine, now, you know, you're, it's, it's your home, so hopefully it's not that bad. But then they take, you know, your ability to earn a living and they force you not to work and they close down stores and they, you know. Yeah, all, all the while you're afraid of getting sick. All the while you're right? afraid of getting sick. And every single day you check the news and there's different information about what the virus oh, yeah. is and, actually. And you're also supposed to be educating your children by yourself. That's right. Okay. <laughs> so it is a normal and natural thing that people are going to basically say enough is enough. And that's what's happening. But once all that, they, that will wash out. That reaction will essentially people, um, you know, they'll get over it over time. I'm not talking about the social unrest with regards to racism or anything like that. I'm just saying people's uh, feeling of being, um, you know, essentially locked down. Eventually, they're going to wash that out of their systems, and you're going to see a return to something that's probably going to be more normalized as far as people's behaviors. So understand what we're experiencing now is a normal, natural reaction. It's the pendulum swinging the opposite direction. Eventually, it's going to swing back the other way, and then it'll return to some sort of normal you know, like if there is a return to normalcy, that's what it's going to feel like where you're not going to be worrying about whatever the next shoe is to drop. That's going to be probably a year from now, maybe even a year and a half from now. So in the intervening six to 12 months, you've got to be overprepared and you've got to essentially remember that you have to be controlling what you allow in your head and you have to be controlling essentially um, the input that you're in the influence you're allowing other people to have on you because generally speaking, the inputs that most people are going to be intaking from news and whatnot are going to do nothing but destroy your mindset. It's going to take your uh, your concentration, your focus, and your best intentions away from being of service to other people and then that's going to compound your, uh, your problems. That will compound your financial problems. It will also compound your emotional problems. So do your best to protect your mindset. We talk about this constantly on this podcast because it's really one of the most important things. So when you're feeling blue, when you're feeling like you need a swing in your emotions, when you feel like you need some more motivation, um, here are four quick tips. Yes, and the thing that I like the most about these are that it gets you back into control. So a lot of what you just talked about, where people feel stress, is because something is out of control. Something's being done to them. Something is happening to them something that wasn't coming from their own psyche or emotions. So all of these things, we're talking about four habits that can quickly get you back on track. This is getting you back in control. So for example, start your day with a short, easy morning workout. 
By easy, I don't mean, you know, lightweight necessarily. What I mean is without a lot of elaborate plans of having to go to a particular gym or something that may or may not be open, sitting in traffic. I'm talking about maybe a 10 minute walk, take your dog out. You know, our French bulldog goes nut balls if he doesn't get out and get some exercise. That's not so different than humans. And in fact, it's scientifically true that exercise increases the chemicals, serotonin and dopamine in your brain, and these chemicals reduce stress and prepare you for the rest of the day. So it's not just because you wanna get your workout over, it's because scientifically it actually does reduce stress. It is worth mentioning, yeah. Julie. So Julie and I are big proponents of a schedule. If you you know read our book, Harris Rules, where obviously most of you are going to get the best work out of yourselves uh, first thing in the morning. That's when most people have their best energy. But here's the reality of it. Not everybody's like that. So um, not everyone's going to have the, you know, they're not going to be the most drilled down and focused first thing in the morning. Some people actually have their peak energy and concentration towards the end of the day. Now that's a very rare person, but my dad was like that. Mm -hmm. My dad was definitely more efficient in getting things done in the evening. That's just how he was wired. He sort of had like a, an opposite clock yeah. to everybody else. Um, so if you find that, again, I'm just emphasizing the point here of the exercise, don't confuse keeping to a schedule to exercise. The exercise yeah. in the morning is just for no other reason just to get your blood flowing. That's no right. other get reason. Get your heart rate up. Right. And you know, when I when I read that point, I said to make it easy. So for example, like I like to do 100 squats or 100 uh, sit-ups or you can do jumping jacks. You can take your dog on a walk. It has to be something that is easy to just all of a sudden get it done, even if it's 10 or 20 minutes. So you get your heart rate up and you've you've started the day correctly and you've been in control of your day, okay? So next one, I like the control aspect as well. Remove clutter to reduce your stress. So when I do this with our coaching clients, and we talk about this in Harris Rules as well, we talk about where to concentrate that clutter removal. Your home office, your car, your immediate surroundings should be clutter-free. Some of you guys still have goat pads, especially since <laughs> you've been in your you know offices locked up. I read, uh, who was it? An editor I read the other day said that she had spent more time in her home office over the past three months than in the past 12 years she's owned her house. <laughs> Probably. So, you know, you got to control that and, and ask, you know, would you like meeting a client there? If you had somebody in your car, are you going to be proud of that? Or do you have to move the McDonald's bags over? So remove clutter and it will reduce stress. Even though it's visual clutter, you're also removing mental clutter. And, you know, proof of that is the, uh, you know, the famous Marie Kondo book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, Japanese Art of Decluttering and Organizing. That wouldn't be such a popular book if it didn't make a big difference to people's lives. Isn't so. that hilarious? This little, I mean, it's just, <laughs> no. just the whole idea. She goes into people's houses and basically essentially talks them into, it's just you speak English, right? She has a translator. She goes into people's houses and she talks them to like removing all the clutter. Well, but it's, it's a simple message. She says she recommends you dispose of anything that doesn't fall into three categories. Currently in use, needed for a limited period of time, or must keep indefinitely. Otherwise, you know, when in doubt, throw it out. It's a simple message. But, you know, there's just so much around that. Like, I think it's called condoizing your house because Marie Kondo is her name, you know. But I think that uh, definitely your office and your car are a place to start. And for some of you, you know, I, I also read the pandemic has um, created record donations of clothes, which is great. You know, there's people that need your stuff more than you do. So there you go. Ready for the next one? Yes. Okay. I like this one because this gets to gratitude. Write down three things that did go well today. What went actually well? The simple question helps you focus on the good things that happen in your life every day. 
And this might be, you know, as simple as, you know, maybe where you live, it's been raining for three days and the sun came out today. That could be a simple good thing that happened. Maybe you got a contract accepted today. Maybe, you know, you found the perfect house for somebody that's been searching, whatever the case may be. Sometimes, you know, when things are going sideways, I, I have little Zoeisms that I appreciate, you know, just one little thing that she said or did, or a little video where I catch her reading a book to the dogs, you know, <laughs> but everybody's got their own things. It has to be at least three things. And I've had, I know you've done this too, because I've heard you on coaching calls. When, when an agent comes to a coaching call and they, they just are bonkers, you'll ask them, Tell me three of the best things that have happened to you today or this week to refocus that energy. You guys can do that every single day and, and to really keep it organized, get yourself a gratitude journal and then read it on the days where things seem to be hitting the fan. Well, this isn't the next point, but I'm going to uh, add to that last point. Mm -hmm. One of the other powerful things to do when you're feeling like uh, you're out of control, like things aren't going your direction. And I hope you guys are writing these points down because a lot of you are going to be needing to employ these points immediately is overtly show gratitude towards other people. When, yes. and, and I do that exercise. I don't do it as often as I want to, but I have a rule for myself that I have to overtly show gratitude towards at least five people every single day. And I don't do it with the expectation of getting a return. I just do it out of um, making mm -hmm. them, wanting them to be feel to feel good. And in their sincere forms of um, gratitude too. I mean, it could just be something as simple as a neighbor doing something nice, or it could be simple as, I mean, Julie doing something nice, or it could be something more elaborate. Maybe I see sure. somebody, one of our students who has posted something really yeah. powerful on uh, the members only Facebook page and I'll go and obviously seek them out and I'll, you know, congratulate them or thank them or just show gratitude mm -hmm. by showing gratitude. The, the reason that's so powerful is even when you're, it's so funny when you're in a really crappy mood, if you force yourself, it's doing what you don't want to do when you don't mm -hmm. want to do it at the highest level, but in a, 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 with a slightly different you know, flavor. So if you're not feeling good, if you go and make other people feel good, just by making other people feel good, you start to feel good. Yeah, I don't understand true. why it works that way, but it really does. Yeah, but I, th I think you're right. But you do have to actively seek, seek that out. One of the things that I do is I'll go and I'll look at the... Uh, you know, there's so many um, animal rescue things like uh, make the fur fly pilots for pups and all this kind of stuff. And I see how many dogs are being rescued and transported. And I can look at that for 30 seconds and go right on. Those guys are really focused today. I looked at all the volunteers and, you know, all those pets are being adopted the second the plane lands because, you know, the, the, um, you know, the shelters have basically been cleaned out because people needed some, some pet company. Um, the second those planes land, all of those dogs and cats are already adopted and they're adopting people are waiting for them. And I just think that's awesome. So that's one of my personal little things that takes 30 seconds to appreciate. And, you know, I'll post something saying, you know, what great work they're doing, whatever is your thing, but you've got to have control enough to stop yourself and reset your mood. Here's what you, if you guys are looking for, for someone to show gratitude towards, how about this for self-serving? <laughs> give us, go to um, iTunes and give us a five-star review <laughs> yeah. and talk about how, you know, you guys, many of you, thousands, over 10,000 of you listen every single day. Uh, why don't you go and give us a five-star review on iTunes and just a few words, uh, say why you like the podcast. It makes a huge difference to um, us because iTunes then basically will see our podcast as being something that other people are going to potentially benefit from. Then it'll start sharing the mm -hmm. podcast with other people and also subscribe to the podcast. Those two things are the minimum standard as a regular listener. All of you guys should be considering doing to show your gratitude you and appreciation. I would appreciate it. So just give us a five-star review and then subscribe to the podcast on your iPhone or your Android device and whatnot. 
Next point, Julie? Yes, so the next point is talking about working on something that's out of your wheelhouse. You might call it a passion project that will come and improve your overall mood. Okay, so doing the daily grind can overshadow passions that you have, like maybe writing a book, starting a blog, a new language, uh, you know, creating art, learning an instrument, whatever the case may be. Something that you that makes you feel good. You know, I when I talk to coaching clients about it, it's what actually refills your cup. Everybody's different. You know, for you, it's car stuff oftentimes, right? Definitely. Um, for Zoe, she can play with uh, with Max and throw the ball, you know, five or six times, and they both instantly get into better moods. Um, you know, for me, maybe it's doing an art project with Zoe, but it's something that's out of your normal daily grind wheelhouse that gets covered up by doing all the things, you know, when you have to do what you don't want to do, when you don't want to do it, it can cover up things that really make you happy. So you can get back to that, even if it's just like 10 minutes of doing something you've been working on. Um, you know, I think that's one of the reasons Etsy is such a popular site because, you know, the crafters do a really good job. Maybe you've got something that, you know, maybe you're an artist or a painter, or maybe you like needlework or whatever it is, go out in the garage, work on cars, but get back to that and just change you know, I remember, it's funny, I remember like when Zoe was a toddler and she would have her tantrums and they would always say, change the, the situation, like take the kid out of that situation and change what's going on and they'll snap out of it. And I think, um, you know, we talk about that in Harris Rules with negotiating when agents are getting at each other's throats. Don't call each other right back and fight about it. You know, s- settle down for 20 minutes. Don't, you know. You don't have to answer your phone. Let it go to voicemail. Just you're, you're reset. Touching, but reset. you're touching on something really yeah. important. Mm-hmm. So right now there's a lot of uh, excitement, fear, panic, loathing, mm-hmm. and also um, maybe over-exuberance. And then you have another group of people that are absolutely just, they don't know what to do next, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you see a lot in the real estate space right now. Yeah. And so let's say you're a listing agent or you even on the buyer side of a transaction. You are probably going to be dealing with someone on the other side of the deal, who is going through these extremes of emotions constantly. In other words, your buyer, the seller possibly, the other agent, everybody's going to be experiencing this whole, you know, sort of cadre of absolutely uncontrolled emotions. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to make sure that you are paying attention to how you feel. Otherwise, you're going to start being inefficient with basically the work you get done. Um, Again, this is a a normal thing. You're not like if you guys are newer in the business and you've never been through a transitional time like what we're going to be experiencing, what we are experiencing, by the way, you're you don't really have a clue what it's going to be like dealing with, you know, essentially panic sellers. Some of you guys are terrorized by the idea that prices are actually going to adjust downwards next year because you don't know how to sell real estate in a market like that. You don't you know, it's an interesting I was having a who was it? Rob Johnson. He was, uh, he's the number one agent in Greenwich, Connecticut, number one agent in Connecticut, and he sells in Greenwich, Connecticut. And his marketplace listeners, now he has a very high average sale price. It's millions and millions of dollars. But in his uh, marketplace, like New York City, it's normal for a seller to be losing half of what they paid for the house. Just to put that in perspective, now not all over Greenwich, but a lot of Greenwich, you'll see people losing $3 million, $5 million on their house, right? Think about that. Now, why are they selling it? Why are they taking the loss? Because they don't have any confidence that the house is going to be worth more you know, next year, let alone 10 years from now. So they're just basically getting out from underneath it. In Manhattan, we read you guys an article uh, last week that uh, essentially property values now have dropped by half. And, mm-hmm. and that's happening in Miami. In markets where you see this massive oversupply, um, where you know, essentially and everyone's holding firm on the prices, they're holding firm on the prices until they don't anymore. Yeah. And you have a big building or similar properties that are comps, and you use and you, like a big neighborhood 
neighborhood, right? And you see three or four houses that go distressed. You could argue that those distressed sales, if there's only three or four, shouldn't be included as comps. I think that's true. But if all of a sudden it's not three or four, if all of a sudden it's starting to work out to be like 5% of the market, then 10% of the market, guess what? The distressed properties are the market. And that's how fast it can change. Well, and Tim, here's the thing. There's degrees of this, right? So you're using extremes to show them that it has already happened in certain areas. But remember, there's a whole generation of agents who panic not not over the 50%, which is the extreme. They can't even barely imagine that. I, I hear it on premier coaching calls sometimes. Well, what do you mean it didn't sell in three days with that's multiple right. offers, right? So that's where it starts is, what do you mean? I only have one offer to deal with, or maybe I even need to do a price reduction. Right. This is like radical you, thinking. You guys don't know how to lo- have long-term relationship with saying. your sellers, let alone your buyers, like, right? Long-term being like more than a, a few days. When Julie and I were selling real estate, it was unusual to have a listing sell in less than 30 days. Yes. The average days in the market, um, in our market, was 181 days. That was in the MLS. Our uh, average days in the market, and we bragged about it, was 93 days. Right? That was better. So it was still three months. So you have these long-term relationships with these sellers that many of you guys need to learn how to have. It's, you know, your buyers, it's the same thing. Buyers during the, you know, when you have essentially a market that's transitioning like this, when they, when the news starts talking about adjustments downward as far as price in your market, how are you going to talk a buyer into buying a house? Or that's not even the right way to say it because you really don't talk a buyer into buying a house. The house sells itself to the buyer. Mm-hmm. But how are you going to help the buyer move past their fears that the house might depreciate? So I, I was talking about this very thing with the interview I did with Rob Johnson. You guys should listen to this. And it's on timandjulieharris.com, iTunes, Stitcher, all the normal places. And so here's how he described it. He said people buy, and this is the way it was when Julie and I sold real estate, so I could totally relate. Mm -hmm. People buy houses in Greenwich, Connecticut now because they need a place to raise their family. They want a place to live. That's it. Normal reasons. Normal reasons. It's not part of an investment plan. It's not speculative. Exactly. They're not expecting the house to appreciate. And so he told me a a story. You guys can listen to it on this podcast again. There was a, um, a, he described him as, I think, a couple doctors in their 30s or whatever. They bought their first house from him for like two. 2.3 2.3 million or something and the house is now worth like 1.9 million and they want to move up to like 3.5 million well they were and they're financing everything right these are not people sitting on gazillions of you know they have probably good cash flow but they don't have a lot of cash um, but it was normal the conversation wasn't even about oh my gosh we're losing two hundred thousand dollars in the house you need to cut your commission and all this it was okay well we knew what we were getting into when we bought the house but we needed a place to live and we lived in this place for two years and this is where we live this is where we work we know the house is going to be most likely worth less yeah. for it than when we paid for it and now we're going to do it all over again yeah but what you're describing is a transitioned market where right, people exactly. are clear that and have accepted the fact that this is how it is right what I'm already hearing on some of our premier calls, because you know the market still is starving for some inventory, and depending on the price range, it's still doing fine. But I am starting to see the collision between sellers' aspirational pricing based on previous market trends versus buyers kind of sniffing out that, hey, you know what? If a house has been on the market for more than like 45 days, maybe I don't need to come in at full list. But they, the problem is, is that some of them, the buyers will see that and they'll then essentially just take themselves out of the market. Yes. But if they are making offers, they're no longer coming in at full list and nope. they're no longer guaranteeing appraisals. And they're also being tougher on home inspections, which means that everybody's got to be better at negotiating and better at their relationships. Because now you have to perhaps, if it's your seller, 
talk to them about why maybe we can't use those comps from January anymore. Maybe we need to look at the fact that you now are competing with more homes and you've been sitting on the market for 30 days. Oh no, 30 days, right? But um, my point being that what you describe with people accepting and, and moving anyway is when you get on you know, full circle through all of that transition, people will still buy and sell. I think that these guys are gonna struggle a little bit with the transitioning market as it happens because they've never, most of them, to your point, have never seen anything like that before. And the point ultimately that Rob was making, and I thought, again, this is really a, drives the point home. This is where most of the country, you guys are not going to lose 50% on home values. Don't worry no. about that. But there's definitely going to be some leveling off and there is going to be absolutely some uh, reductions in uh, values. Houses most likely across, well, according to CoreLogic, there's going to be a, a a sing, was it 2% or 3%? Two, 2%. Yeah. And that from average. 2% all the way up to like 10% or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. So the average is 2% uh, drop in home values nationwide next year. And according to CoreLogic, they said that's only happened three times. Well, this will be the third, third time, time it's happened in history. So Yeah, which doesn't sound really that horrible, except for the fact that every seller for the past 10 to 12 years is expected to get 105% of their listing price. Right. And now it drops by 2%. Now it starts to feel like something's actually happening. You guys see our point here? So if you don't realize that that's the market that we're headed towards, most likely, right? Who knows? But if that's the market we're headed towards and you don't have the skill set for that market and the market's only like six months, maybe 12 months away, what are you going to do? And if your whole, essentially your whole uh, you know, success thesis <laughs> was based on uh, rising prices and buyers standing in line and overbidding and sellers being able to push the buyers around, that's all going to change. It's changed before, it'll change again, and then yeah. it'll go back and adjust, you know, who knows. But the reality, again, that to Rob's ultimate point, which I thought was great, he said, Tim, you tell me something that people buy, that they, that they consume, in essence, that is expected to increase in value other than real estate. And, and it was like, That's yeah, there was nothing. It. Yeah. Think of one thing. Joel, I, I know. And, and you and I talk about this a lot that, you know, when you buy a new car, you don't expect to sell no, it for more. But it's not even a conversation. I mean, right? No, it's just totally accepted. Right? right. I mean, look at the, I, we're about to have groceries delivered, you know? So do I expect that to be, I, those are going to be gone. That's, that's money down. The, but what about clothes? You can, you can name anything. Exactly. Like anything. Right. So the idea that you buy something that you use, that it's going to increase in value is a uh, sort of an entitlement that all of us feel like we're we're owed, uh, you know, with real no, estate. And it wasn't always like that. No, you know, of course I not. I mean, when our parents bought their houses in the '70s, there was no expectation that that was going to be a bank account. When we sold real estate in Columbus, Even when Ohio, we, right? Yeah, exactly. you didn't talk about what no. the house was, the hypothetical appreciation. No. So just here, guys, just think about this: when we sold real estate, and it wasn't a billion years ago. <laughs> there, you know, <laughs> we're not that old. Back in our day. Yeah. yeah. No, it was. Um, you did not. Everyone knew that the house was going to hopefully keep up with inflation. And inflation was, back when we were selling real estate, was like 1% to 3% per year. Mm -hmm. Now, the ideal situation was you're going to buy your house. It's going to increase in cost, or you might say value, keeping up with inflation. That way, when you went to sell it, basically, you know, if you paid, you know, a million dollars for it, or, you know, maybe $500,000 for it, whatever, every year it was going to increase in cost by maybe... 500,000 might be worth 515 the next well, year. Well, I remember doing CMAs that way. Exactly. What year, what year did they buy it? How much did they pay? Plus about 3% a year if it was in a decent neighborhood, less if it wasn't, you know, it gives it some value for a condition maybe and you were there and that was actually an extremely accurate way of pricing back then. And here's the so here's the little mm -hmm. mindset shift for a lot of you and this is how a lot of the country is. It's, everyone focuses on the coastal markets. But in, 
with the exception of this really crazy, by the way, wonderful in many ways, seller's market we're all enjoying still the benefit of, mm-hmm. in a normal market like what we're going into, you're also going to see, okay, well, if I buy this house for, say, $300,000 and the house increases in cost every year by, say, 2% or infl- keeps up with inflation by 2 or 3%, if that's all inflation is, right? If we have really big inflation, then it's obviously going to be a different conversation. But historically speaking, this is how real estate's worked in the United States. Globally, by the way, for the most part, unless you live in like Monaco or Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So if a, a house, a $300,000 house goes up every year by say 2%, you know, you buy it for 300 grand next year, it's worth, you know, 306 next year, it's worth, you guys can do with the math on up. So for some, when we sold real estate, when many of you got, many of you guys are, you know, have been in the business as long as we have, when you go meet with a seller and you're having this conversation with them about what's the house worth, if they hadn't lived in the house, you guys can do the math on this mm-hmm. for probably something like five to seven years, they were actually going to lose their down payment. They were actually okay. going to make no money on the house. And, now, And if they had put very little money down, they may actually find themselves taking money to closing. Right. I used to hate those calls. Oh, yeah. But we had to <laughs> deal know? with that but all the time. But we had to. And, and for our listeners that are, live in the fear of the short sale, that does not necessarily mean that it made them a short sale. It just means that they literally wrote a check at closing to get rid of the house. We had to learn how to do short sales when Julie and I were selling real estate because it, was, it wasn't that much of our market, but it was probably like 10% of the time it would we were doing a short sale. Yeah. Um, so I want you guys to think about this arithmetic because it's interesting. I'm going to go, let me just finish this point. Sure, sure. My mind's bouncing around too. Sorry. We both had too much, too coffee. much coffee. We got a new cappuccino machine and, and Julie and I were working <laughs> on our different recipes. So if we sound a little nutty today, that's why. We Jacked up on caffeine. We should have warned all of you. So yeah. if you bought the house for 300 grand and it increases in cost or value or appreciation, whatever you want to call it by 2% per year. And, and Julie can do the math. But let's say after five years, houses hypothetically has a market value of 325. But if you put 10% down on that house, so 325, and let's say your selling costs in the house between commissions and normal transactional costs are going to be like, say, 8%. Your blended cost is 8%. You basically are selling the house for what you paid for it net. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But you're actually losing money. And here's why. And this is what really is incredibly annoying about <laughs> when you actually think the, the truth about real estate. When you factor in the amount of money you paid, um, no, let's not, okay, we can say taxes, the amount of money you paid in maintenance and upkeep, the amount of, uh, you know, cutting the grass, the, refi- fixing the gutter. It. You have to pay your HOA. Right. If you actually wrote down what your actual cost is. So let's, let's do some, you know, math. So if you had that $300,000 house and let's say your mortgage payment was, what would have been the mortgage payment? With taxes. Um, well, I mean, now it's going to be lower, but probably, let's, let's I don't do, know, let's, let's call it, it 1800 Let's do it for real. Get, give me your calculator. Okay, well, can you do it without a mortgage calculator? I can't. Um, hang on. You and I are English majors, dude. We can't do math in our heads. Come on So now. you're saying a $300,000 three, house. So let's just say a house with a $290,000 um, mortgage and just whatever the, let's just put the interest rate at something realistic, like 4%. What's uh, the payment? Okay, uh, 1400 yeah, 1401. Okay, 1401, bucks. that's without property taxes. Yep. So let's assume the property taxes are, say, $500 a month. What do you think? Actually, I have 2400 figured in. Let's, let's make it a little bit more. Uh, we're, still, we're still under, we're about $1,500, we will say. $1,500 a month all in? Yeah. Okay, let's call it $1,500. So if you stayed in that house for five years, it's set so $18,000 a year. It's 18, 1500 times 12 is $18,000 mm-hmm. a year. Mm-hmm. 18000 times Five is ninety thousand dollars. Okay, mm-hmm. so you have basically 
and how much, uh, especially if you've only stayed in there five years, how much did you actually pay towards the, the principal? Mm, virtually virtually nothing. nothing, right? Yeah. So to stay in that house for five years, you put in $90,000 in just essentially mostly interest. And mm-hmm. that would be also including property taxes. Again, not including your maintenance and your upkeep and you're cutting the grass and all that. Mm-hmm. So why am I explaining all this to you guys? Because in most cases, most people in America, they do end up with some equity in their houses, but they've really, as far as a, being a you know a pure investment, it's kind of terrible. It really well, is. Well, that's right. And you know what's funny about that? I uh, Often in Premier Coaching, we talk about how to figure out ROI because the investment thing comes up a lot. And when you really look at the actual equation of return on investment, you are supposed to do it exactly how you described. And yet, how many people never even they never do it? They They never think about it. I paid this and I sold it for this, and look, I made all this money. You didn't make crap. No, I mean, think about just the interest alone you're paying. You know, in the first quite a few years of the mortgage, and all the upkeep and the maintenance and all the different things. You know, and then so like in your example, if you paid three hundred thousand, you you spent ninety thousand on it. Theoretically, you would think. If I sold it for three ninety, I'm breaking even, and yet that's not even true because you have to figure in eight percent costs, right? On top of it, but even yeah, exactly. But what's the probability of buying, you know, in a, in the normal not, market for three hundred and selling it for five years market. and three ninety? It's never going to happen. No, house will have appreciated by like thirty percent. It's never going to happen. No. no. So the only thing that the math works fairly well on is little first time buyer houses in hot neighborhoods. Right. Those well, do okay. If somebody else is making, if your tenant is making the payment, sure. Okay, then the math makes more sense. Okay, but, but, but and yet still. Most people still don't figure in all the expenses to right. get the actual ROI, or nobody would probably buy anything. So the reason <laughs> we're explaining all this to you is yeah. this is what a normal market is like, and this is what you guys are going to be experiencing. And yet, there'll still be five million houses or more that sell per year. Yep. Why? Because the investment thesis is set aside for the fact that you need a, a safe place to live. To you need a place to raise your family. You need a secure place. Houses are the greatest emotional investment in yourself that you can make. Ultimately, that's the reason that people yeah. buy a home. I live somewhere. And if you don't have the skill set to move yourself and your clients past the idea that it's going to be like a lottery ticket and buying a real estate is going to make you lots of money. See, that's the problem. Most of you guys only know how to... Yep communicate with potential clients based on the premise that buying a real estate is like some sort of Willy. I keep on saying Willy Wonka, but you know what? That's a horrible movie (laughs) uh, from the 70s. It was terrifying as a kid, don't you think? I hated that I hated it. What were those things in Willy Wonka with their little you ate mean candy little... and you blew up or something? Yeah, that's right. I don't know. It was <laughs> bad. Terrible. The only thing scarier than that was the monkeys in the Wizard of Oz. Oh, but... totally, completely. <laughs> anyway, we digress. Well, yeah, we digress. It's the caffeine again. <laughs> again. Yep. So, why again is it important you understand all this? Because this is a market that we we, we just described and we just did this math for you is completely foreign to most of you, yep. and you are going to now be thinking to yourself. I won't, you know, how could I relate and how can I do business where I can't just walk in and essentially sell out of, you know, someone's fear of missing out and losing the house or just purely out of greed? Well, it's because historically people will buy and always have bought real estate regardless of whether or not it's a home run investment anyway. In Rob's market, think about what I said. They buy real estate knowing they're going to lose money. When you buy a car, you know you're going to lose money. When you buy your iPhone, they're coming out with new iPhones later this year that are like the size of skateboards. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What is it, seven inch? I don't even know. It's ridiculous. Doesn't that make it an iPad? I know, right? When does this start? Somewhere in between. Yeah. What's going to happen? How are you going to put that thing in your pocket anyway? I don't know. So, yeah, well, there'll be a whole new fashion accessory thing that comes out. Yeah. So, 
that thing's going to be worth what? The second you buy your new iPhone, it's going to be worth half, maybe you know, 80% of what you paid for it. Yep. And yet, that's okay. You buy it anyway. That's right. Now, if you, that's what real estate is in your market, if that's what your home becomes for you, it's a place to live. It's a place to you know, celebrate. It's a place to you know, be together. If that's what your house becomes and it doesn't become an investment thing, what, how are you going to communicate with buyers and sellers about that? How are you going to know how to walk into a seller's house and have a conversation where you're going to have to tell them the reality of the market is that their house is going to be worth net to them less than what they actually paid for it? How are you going to do that? See, you can learn how to do it, and, but you need to learn quick because most of the market, your fellow agents, won't. And so they're just going to basically rely on essentially low skills and uh, greed, basically. Not mm-hmm. necessarily their own, but the idea that they can sell a house to a buyer and get the buyer to overpay. And because the, if you don't buy it today, it's going to be worth more tomorrow and yeah. all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And the same thing on seller side, the same you know types of conversations. But if that whole thesis is out the window and now a home is just considered somewhat of a consumable item, which is in essence what it is, then how are you actually going to sell houses? How are you going to have those conversations? That's what we coach you to do. Yeah, and there's so much that's related to that too. You know, I think about just, you know, now they don't even really have to stage a home that much. They barely have to put a sign in the yard and, you know, because the market has absorbed things so quickly. You're going to have to actually have conversations about how to put your house in the best light and that it might take a while and you might have to live through 40 showings. I mean, these these guys have never heard of such a thing. Well, but Julie, ultimately, you know? this is the reason that things that are goofy have been allowed to exist. Yeah. You know, the market mm-hmm. has not been through market being you guys, the real estate agents who are buying all these silly things because the fact is the houses have been mostly selling themselves yep. and you haven't really needed that much skill set. It you is know, the twilight zone. It is. But it's been that way for so long that they think it's normal. Well, it's most of it, it's, it's their entire careers. Most of them, it's the, yes. it's the only market they've known. Yeah. And you guys have go, had to go into listing presentations where it was the cat and monkey show. Whoever was going to you know, give the seller the most bangles and you know most yeah. virtual tours and most this is the other things that's the person that you know that's the expectations the sellers had mm-hmm. you don't have to do all that stuff in a market like what i'm describing no. in the market i'm describing what you have to be able to do is counsel the seller get the damn thing and, sold and get the damn thing sold that's it yeah but, and you know it is transitioning i told you yesterday that i'm already hearing buyer agents have to compete for business and interview just like you would on a listing presentation you know so things are definitely changing and they're going to change fast, and the rate of change is going to actually pick up pace. I so, think that's true. I think it's going to depend on you know the town and the price range. I don't think it's going to be super consistent from town to town right. and price to price. First-time buyer stuff still going to be probably pretty hot. Um, condos and luxury is already kind of getting hit by this. So I go back to some of my you know points that we make on it virtually every podcast. You have to know your own local market like the back of your hand. You've got to study. If you're going on a listing appointment tonight, don't assume it's going to be the same drill as the next night. Could be totally different even though they're in the same town. And then, so why does this go back to those those points that we made, which are essentially mindset points? Because while you're learning and while you're earning, you're going to be dealing with a lot of people's uh, you know, mixed emotions. You're going to be dealing with not just all the craziness that's happening uh, societally right now, but and all the stuff and the fear and panic from the coronavirus and all the things from the economy and all the da 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 da. Now you're going to have to deal with uh, sellers, maybe for the first time, dealing with a situation that's foreign to them. Mm-hmm. You're going to be having to deal with, you know, essentially coaching and, and consulting with buyers, same situation, foreign and uncomfortable to them. Yep. You're going to be having to have all these new conversations all the while you're just feeling like you're inundated with 
you know, pressures and people pulling you. And you guys get the point? I'm causing you stress, aren't I? I don't mean to. The point I'm making is, is that you have to accept the fact that you have to learn while you earn. In other words, move forward learning the new skill sets necessary, understanding what we're telling you is true. I understand that it's not like this is not good stuff to hear. It's not even fun stuff to say. But the truth is, it's necessary. Otherwise, Julie and I are not doing what, you know, essentially we pledged all of you that we would yeah. do, which is always telling you the drilled down practical tactical truth. And getting you ready. Some of you guys are going to have these experiences like next week. Yeah, seriously. You know, and if it doesn't and it happens to you next year, at least you'll see it coming and you'll know what to do about it. And some of you guys were listening, oh, Tim and Jim, Tim and Julie are just doom and gloom. We're not doom and gloom yeah. at all. We are incredibly optimistic for the agents that learn the new skill set. That's it. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you guys will be, when you do, when you are the agents that have that new skill set and maintain your mindset, like we talked about it with the four points today, you guys will thrive and you'll have, you'll be so much more appreciated yep. in this market then, you know, I mean, everybody celebrates the whole hot seller's market and, you know, selling stuff overnight. Well, you know, that is also why there's a lot of for sale by owners around because they know they can do it on their own. Market changes and things sit around and they actually need you more and you're actually solving a real problem for them. I remember some of our, um, you know, our most loyal repeat clients. This always surprised me because I, I figured it would be normal past clients, right? It was short sale sellers and for sale by owners because it was so clear that we had solved their problem and they appreciated it on a different level. So I think that's going to be fun for them to experience. Well, so what do they do with all this information? You've got to protect your mindset. You're going to have to protect yourselves from all these different things that are going to be pulling you emotionally in different directions. Yeah, because you can't participate with their stress. You have to be the leader. That's right. And so take these four points. Um, attend our mastermind. Just text the word mastermind to 31996. And last thing, we are hiring as part of our sales team. If you're interested in working for us, this would be a real job. It would be uh, talking with agents who are interested in joining our coaching program. It is a real job with real sales requirements that if you don't do well, you won't have for long. Okay. Yes, but you will be working from home. You will be working from home. Um, and you can earn, frankly, very good pay. It's uh, essentially everything's obviously you guys know us. There's, it's, you know, we have great scripts and a system to help you get uh, transitioning agents into our coaching program. The whole thing is very organized. Um, you do work from home. You would be part of our actual coaching business. If you're interested in being considered for that job, please text the word resume to 31996. Text the word resume to 31996. If you're interested in being considered to be part of Julie and I's sales team, uh, working inside our coaching business, helping agents uh, enroll in our coaching programs, text the word resume to 31996. Anything else you'd like to say to these guys today? Yep. I mean, you know, stay frosty, keep your mindset healthy because you may be the only one in the transaction that has your head screwed on straight. That is your responsibility and your accountability to all the people that you're helping and who are trusting you, not to mention your family. So. We, guys, we're going to be there with you. We've yep. been through all this before, right? We're not looking forward to it necessarily because we have to transition all of you guys into this new market. And some of you are going to come to, you're listening to us now. You're going to sit and wait. You're going to delay taking action. And then you're going to, you know, be on Julie's premier coaching call on Monday, two mm -hmm. weeks from now. And a, an absolute, you know, 
panic because you have a listing appointment that evening. That happens. And, and of course it does. And you've just discovered the sellers are basically going to lose money and you don't know what to say. Well, you haven't prepared and now you're having to play catch up and the probability of you being successful helping that seller is about zero, isn't it? So this is what it's about now. It's about you getting ahead of the essentially the transition that is going to take most agents by surprise because they're just expecting everything to return to normal. They're not, they, agents have this natural fear. Everybody does, like I said, of change, but agents in particular, if I and Julie were to say this in, in front of like, you know, hundreds of thousands of agents, because realistically tens of thousands, you will listen to today's podcast, but you would see if you were looking, you know, if you could look from stage onto the faces in the audience, you would see a good 20 to 30% would absolutely hate, hate what we were saying. Why? It doesn't make any sense. But the reason is, is because they, they're they fearful that what we're suggesting is going to happen in the market will make it so that they won't be able to sell real estate because right. they know in their hearts they don't have the skill set to earn the business. And that's all true. And some of you are feeling that way now. So do something about that. Accept the fact that what you knew before, what you had to know in the past market worked then and the new market is going to be a completely different set of skills, a completely different mindset, a completely different approach. And that's okay. You can adapt. I promise you, you can yep, adapt. You have to. So you guys have a fantastic day. If you need me for anything, if you want to give us any suggestions for podcasts, if you have any questions, you can always text me directly, which is 512-758-0206. You guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.